0: Some people don't know that they're grieving. Like it's not quite obvious, especially since there's so many ways that we can grieve and some people don't identify that they're grieving because they don't know what it looks like. Like what is grief?
1: Hey, and welcome to the millennial health podcast. I'm Dr. J. Sheree Allen, a board-certified family physician who's passionate about the health of my fellow millennials. I know we're booked and busy, but your first wealth is your health. So I'm taking some of my most important health messages and bringing them here to you on this podcast. My goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health topics but I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. I am so excited to be launching the 2022 season of the Millennial Health Podcast. This has been such a labor of love. I really enjoy bringing these conversations write to you in your car or wherever it is that you're listening. You know, I wanted to get started on a note that I think will resonate with most of us. It has been two plus years now of this pandemic. And it has really started to impact our mental health. You all know that I live on this mental health hill. I think it is so important for us to have these transparent conversations, really try to destigmatize some of these issues, and really talk openly and honestly about the way that we've been impacted um, mentally. So I've invited for rent to the show, Dr. Claudine jones She is a board-certified psychiatrist based in New York City. She was actually my very first guest ever on Millennial Health for a talk on depression. So today we're going to get into grief. And I started out by saying we're going to talk about mental health, and now I'm talking about grief. But believe it or not, they are connected more than we think. And especially in this pandemic, we are actually grieving a lot of things. You know, we think grief and we automatically think loss or loss of a loved one or loss of someone from your life. But you can grieve other things. You can grieve events. You can grieve the life you had or the plans you had for yourself. So, I think it's important for us to expand that definition, and Claudine is going to help us to do that today. We're also going to discuss, you know, when that grief is unresolved or it's complicated, you know, leading to some depression, some anxiety, even sometimes suicide. And then, of course, we have to share some resources because if we're going to talk about the tough stuff and identify some of those issues, we also have to talk about what we can do about it. So with that being said, Dr. Claude Dean Bourne, thank you so, so much for joining us. Welcome to Millennial Health.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
1: I appreciate it. So I had to call you up because We needed to have a conversation about what is going on with our mental health. I think this pandemic has really had a significant impact on our mental health. I think just kind of putting off life for so long, putting off plans, and even just watching as, you know, some people go on like nothing's happened and then there's so many people who've lost loved ones, their lives have been turned upside down. It's like really hard to put those two worlds together. So I wanted to have a really nice conversation with you about where we are as far as all that's concerned right now.
0: I'm so glad you, you brought me on because this is incredibly relevant. I'm a psychiatrist, but I work in emergency departments throughout the United States. And something that we're seeing is that the emergency departments are flooded with psychiatric patients. And I'm speaking cities, suburbs, rural areas. It's everywhere where people are really having a difficult time with the pandemic and things opening. So there's even like new terms coming out, such as post-pandemic stress. It's not a disorder, but it is a thing. And it's a term that's being floated around and also oh no, F-O-N-O. What's that? Fear of, of normal. Whoa,
1: tell us more.
0: So FONO, oh fear of normal is kind of a, a branch of like the post-pandemic stress where the fear is that once things open up, it's like, what is it going to be like when I'm around crowds? It's not as if COVID was eradicated or anything like that. So it's like, what is it going to be like when I have to go back and socialize? What am I going to even be able to do that? What is it going to be like when we go back to the office? How are interactions going to be? And there's like this anxiety built up around this quote unquote normalcy that a lot of people wanted.
1: I have a friend who said something to me that I thought was pretty profound. She said, normal is a setting on a washing machine. Like there is no life that is normal. There is no one particular way that is quote unquote normal. You know, we kind of each have our own ways of doing things and we're going to go back to a new way of having to, having to do things. So I don't know. I think about it like that too. When I get, I don't know if I have phono per se, but I do wonder like what, what the future holds, honestly, how different will things look? And there is
0: a natural apprehension to kind of going into the unknown, because even though these are things that we used to be so accustomed to doing, lifestyles that we were so accustomed to have, we haven't had it in about two and a half years. So it it is a natural apprehension. But at the same time, there's also an aspect of where more people are having psychiatric issues where it's going from just that normal apprehension to something that might be a little bit more more serious and need a little bit more attention
1: what exactly is it about the pandemic that is driving some of those numbers
0: it's so multifaceted there's the aspect that we just talked about things opening up not knowing what's going to happen then there's the aspect of the pandemic itself like once you were in the pandemic the anxiety that you had being within the pandemic and probably not getting any care during that time because you were told not to go to an emergency department. You were probably fearful of even being in a medical setting. There's also so many other things that happen indirectly, like people passing away in your life, people being sick, having to take on caregiver roles. A lot of people have had to assume roles and have their routines switched in a way that it's hard to compensate. These things.
1: That is so important, I think, to acknowledge. You know, I've said this before, but the pandemic has impacted us in ways that we don't even understand yet. You know, some of this is yet to be seen. But one of the things that we already see and we're already starting to grapple with is grief in many ways. You know, we think of grief and you automatically think, someone has died or, you know, you're mourning the loss of, you know, a loved one, but even just grieving, you know, how things used to be or grieving what you expected out of, you know, people who missed graduations and proms and had canceled weddings, that sort of thing. Let's talk a little about that. Grief is is really getting to us here.
0: Yeah, grief is getting to people. And I'm glad that you mentioned the different ways that Grief can manifest and show itself before I got into like how we process it. But yes, grief is not just when someone dies, it's a loss. So think about a loss of anything, a loss of yourself. Somewhere along the pandemic, you may not be the same person that you used to be. You may have had to assume new identities just to survive in this new climate. There's a loss of relationships. Not being able to have that physical contact or be able to communicate to people in certain ways may have kind of, severed some relationships or made some relationships not as strong. There's a loss of like breakups, divorces. A lot of that happened during the pandemic. I, you know, I don't know how to what extent people are talking about that, but there are so many people that, you know, their families got broken up, their relationships got broken up, their homes got broken up because they couldn't uphold, you know, with the stress of of the pandemic. So there are so many ways that grief can manifest. Uh, A major thing is kind of going over like, what does that look like for everyone? Another important thing is that some people don't know that they're grieving. Like, it's not quite obvious, especially since there's so many ways that we can grieve, like we illustrated, like through relationships, not just death, even through sickness. Whenever there's a loss in general, you you grieve. And some people don't identify that they're grieving because they don't know what it looks like. Like, what is grief? And we used to have this five-stage model that was denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance and it was kind of a fluid thing you could go from one to the other or skip one and go back around but it was these were the five things that kind of defined grief mm-hmm. and over time i think this changed not recently but there are actually seven stages of grief and it's good to have more stages it also illustrates some other aspects i'm not sure really were reflected in just those five and and they add other words to it so the first stage being shock and denial, not just denial, but shock, because sometimes it's not that we don't appreciate that it's happened or we're in denial that it's, it's happening. We can't believe it. Did grandma really just pass away? Did, did he just really break up with me? Am I really unable to walk around without oxygen? Like Those are things that I think don't get in, encompassed by denial. Like I think you're very well aware that these things are happening but the shock of it. Like, I can't believe that that happened to me. And then pain and guilt, you know? I think that it's great that pain goes with it because you may not feel guilty or blame yourself on what happened, but there's just, just like this hurt that is so internal. Uh, guilt is so internalized, but also having that other element of pain that it just hurts you to the core to the point that it's almost somatic, like a broken heart. You know, I, I think that speaks more than just guilt. Because not everyone feels that guilt. Not everyone has that they did something that they can't process in relation to the loss. There's anger and bargaining. So they put those two together. Almost as if you're, you're mad about it, but you're trying to like weasel you, your way out of it. So like trying to talk your way out of what happened. But the root of it is anger. Like I'm mad. I'm mad that this happened. Like, there has to be a different way to explain this.
1: Mm-hmm. Or, you know what,
0: I'm going to get revenge. Like that type of thing. Like trying to like kind of circumvent what happened in a still angry way. <laughs> <laughs> so the bargaining is not as benign as I think we used to think. Like, oh, please uh, let me be in their place or what have you. Or, you know, let this happen to me. I, I, I feel like when it's put in that frame of anger, it almost encompasses all the other ways that we grieve and not just the loss of a person.
1: Ah, okay. Oh, wow. That is a really interesting way to think about that. Honestly, I never thought about it like that at all.
0: And then depression, loneliness, and reflection.
1: Are stages of grief? One stage. They put that as
0: one stage. Depression, loneliness, and reflection, which could all look like the same thing at the end of the day. That kind of like internal isolation You know, that darkness, that sadness, that you feel alone. Like nobody feels like, oh yeah, everyone has my back when I'm depressed. You still feel lonely. And having to like think about like, what is happening to me? And kind of that that reflection that's not a, a happy place. And then the next stage is, I'm trying to still understand this myself, but it's called the upward turn. And I don't understand why it's called the upward turn. And some people say that this is where you might slip backwards, but the upward turn is where you start to crave contact, connection, and support. A reason why you might slip backwards is because as you're doing that, you kind of unhash a lot of things. Mm, okay. You know? So uh-huh. you finally got to the place where, hey, I'm, I'm coming out of that depression and loneliness. I'm ready to talk to people. And then as you talk to people, it's like, oh, man.
1: It's I'm all so coming angry. back
0: to you. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm depressed again. So after that upward turn, that support, that craving for connection and support, that connection, there's reconstruction. So realizing that you can change what's happening, maybe not, but you can change how you think about it.
1: You can change how you act in response to it. That is exactly what I was thinking. Changing the way you respond to it, or choosing, Mm -hmm. yeah, what you do going forward. Yeah,
0: like choosing to move forward choosing to feel empowered choosing happiness i mean that's so deep a lot of people don't know you can choose happiness yes you have a choice again? you do have a choice mm-hmm. so that's the reconstruction part like what can i change about the way i'm thinking about this or the way i'm acting in a response to this event that happened to me and then last acceptance and hope ironically you don't have to accept to change the way you think and the way you feel so even then though they, how
1: do you get out of that
0: that's that's the interesting thing like even though the you know, these are fluid, and they could go in different directions. They, they put it in a certain direction for a reason. But it, it takes that choice to move forward to even get to acceptance and hope. Like, acceptance and hope is the finish line. But there's so much work of, like, choosing happiness, choosing to move on, choosing to maybe remember this person for the things that were good in their life versus remembering that they're not there.
1: Choosing that is so hard, and that's why acceptance and hope is really at the end. What happens to patients who don't or people who don't make it to that phase? Like, what happens when you don't get there through all seven stages to acceptance and hope? You don't
0: have to get through all stages, right? That's a good thing. It's not a perfect equation. You don't have to get through all stages. But what happens when you don't get to acceptance and hope? Ultimately, you have an unresolved conflict in your psyche. There's something that's not resolved. And you can live in that for a very long time. Like, think about it. Let's say somebody gets all the way to reconstruction. They're just working and working and working. And sadly, some people, if they don't have that closure, they break. And there are such things as, like, complicated grief. And quite frankly, grief is not necessarily a psychiatric condition. It's in the DSM, and it's in our literature, like, marked under adjustment disorder. But in itself, grief is not, like, a a disorder, like, major depression or, or anxiety or what have you. However, after some time, depending on how you your grief manifests, you kind of go into that. And that's why it's so important to talk about it, that the grief turns into just a depressive episode or the grief turns into uh, your first thought of anxiety or name whatever psychiatric illness you want to name, even PTSD,
1: mm-hmm. depending
0: on how traumatic that grief process and not just the loss itself, but the grief process could even be traumatic. You start to get to these other psychiatric illnesses, even though grief is not specifically one.
1: Whoa! Oh. So then, unfortunately, so if we get stuck in one of those phases, what can we do? What's, what's the plan or how do we go about it? What are the resources out there?
0: Well, I think even within the stages, there's kind of the answer, right? So a good stage to get stuck in is probably the upward turn where you start craving connection, you start craving support. If anything, I would say is like, if you could just try to even get to the upward turn, you might, you might be okay. You might be well. It's also a matter of coping. Like some people don't need to, they don't need to get to reconstruction. They kind of have it together or it, it's just hard to accept. It's hard to to have hope. And, and, and that's not necessary to be mentally well, but I think it is best, you know, it's ideal to go through all those stages. But that doesn't mean that if you're like, oh man, you know, I just heard this podcast and I'm still at anger. That's fine. It's when it becomes pathological where you start mm-hmm. to get these serious depressed episodes, these this serious anxiety, even psych- psychosis. It's when you start to get into things that just sound like the other illnesses that it's really an issue. But I would Mm -hmm. tell anyone that if you feel like your grief is getting to that point and it's becoming unbearable, it is time to seek help, whether it's support from your friends, your loved ones first, uh, whatever other communities you're a part of, talking it out there. And then if it needs to get to that point, maybe seeking a therapist. Inherently, some people know when they've done all they can and it's just not enough and I need that extra support. Mm -hmm. So it, it is really up to the person.
1: So you've mentioned that you know the grief is unresolved or stuck in a certain phase. That you know, as you mentioned, some of them are okay, but there are others that are gonna start um, to manifest as like depression or anxiety, even psychosis. You mentioned PTSD if you know the precipitating event was a traumatic. You know, so what, tell us more about that process.
0: Yes, I think most people with grief and even with the post-pandemic stress, most of them manifest as depression and anxiety. So I think those are two that would be best to hone in on. So when, when it comes to depression, and we talked about this in the first podcast, you all are welcome to go listen to that. It was excellent. It was also a yes. Dr. James
1: <laughs> Linked in the show notes. <laughs>
0: so uh, So the symptoms of depression, and I'll go through them quickly, are changes in sleep, changes in appetite, changes in concentration, loss of energy, lack of interest in activities, hopelessness or guilt, guilty thoughts, changes in movement. So that is like less active, like you're really slow or agitated, which is like you just feel like this keyed up sensation. You can't really shake it or you just can't stop like moving or just agitated. It's just like a a visceral thing. And There's also muscle aches and pains and suicidal thoughts. So muscle aches and pains. A lot of people, their depression comes in their body. Mm. So you literally feel it. Sometimes it could be muscle aches and pains, and sometimes it could be like you just feel slow, like you're stuck in mud or your limbs are heavy, like you could barely just move. And that's how some people, their, their depression manifests.
1: I've heard someone describe it like they feel like they're in quicksand, like, and just sinking, sinking. I've heard that way, too.
0: And then the cousin of uh, or the brother or sister of depression, they're always hanging out together as anxiety. So a lot of people are anxious because they're depressed or depressed because (laughs) Because they're they're
1: anxious. anxious.
0: Or they have limited insight into one and great insight into the other. So some people could accept being anxious. Fine. They'll tell you, anyone they're anxious. And those same people will say, oh, no, I'm not depressed at all. And then there's different type of people will say, oh, yeah, I'm very depressed. Anxiety? No, I'm not anxious. So it's so, it's so interesting that they interplay, but yet they don't coincide as much. So mm-hmm. anxiety is another one that could be felt in the body. And it's felt in the body a little bit more. So it's uh, feelings of apprehension or dread, feeling tense or jumpy, restlessness or irritability, anticipating the worst and being watchful for signs of danger. And those are emotional, but then there's like these physical symptoms. And this is where people really get tripped up. And I see this so much in the emergency department, these symptoms here. So pounding or heart racing or shortness of breath, sweating, tremors, and twitches. Headaches, fatigue, insomnia, upset stomach, frequent urination, or diarrhea.
1: But all right, to be fair, those signs can be like uh, symptoms of so many other I mean, this medical conditions. sounds like it could be COVID,
0: to be honest with you. Like, who knows <laughs> what it is?
1: So honestly, and I see that too, even in clinic. You know, patients will come in and, you know, they swear they have like a thyroid problem or, you know, they have. I don't know, migraines or, you know, they're going on and on. And the more I hear a history, you know, and even sometimes if it's warranted, I'll get, you know, labs or imaging if I need it to rule out other diagnoses. But I'm like, this is generalized anxiety disorder. You have scored extremely high on your GAD7. So that's a test that we use. You answer some questions that Claudine just mentioned. You know, we do that and we put the puzzle together. And it's really interesting to me how people are so reluctant sometimes to accept that, yeah, this could be anxiety. Oh, yeah. It's
0: easy to hear, like, I have a stomach bug. I think more people want to hear that they had a heart attack than they're just anxious. You know, it gets to that point where they don't want to accept that it's it's something psychiatric. There's something off-putting. By being told that it's in your head. And some people will hear it's in your head as it's not real. And I always have to validate, like, in your head, your head is real. Your brain is real. <laughs> that's as real as your stomach and your lungs and your heart. It's a real thing. It's in there. And it needs attention just
1: like anything else. That's a good way to <laughs> that's a good way to say it for sure. Thank you so much, Claudine. Like this is such helpful information. We really, really appreciate this. So this is going to be a two-part series. So this is the end of part one, but tune in in two weeks for part two, and we're going to pick up on this amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Millennial Health Podcast. Though my goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health issues, I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. I hope this information was beneficial to you. And if so, please subscribe to the Millennial Health Podcast and share with your friends. Please also leave us a review. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Dr. J. Shere. D-R-J-A-Y-S-H-E-R-E-E.